Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series today, Jesus Goes Global Beyond Jerusalem. So let's turn in our Bibles to Acts chapter 11, verses 1 to 18, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, First Loyalty. In every era, Satan has attempted to break the unity of the church. Let me explain what I'm getting at. There are countless forces in the culture in which we live that compete for our ultimate loyalty. One of those forces comes from the nations in which we live. We call it patriotism. Now, just to be clear, I'm not opposed to patriotism, provided it finds its rightful place beneath, lower than, and of lesser importance than our patriotism to the global people of God. Let me say it again. My first loyalty is to God. My second loyalty is to the people of God, the church, made up of people from every tribe and race and nation and tongue. My loyalty to my nation in which I live is subservient to my loyalty to those other two loyalties. Now, there have been times in history, there are horrible times, when the Christian faith has been made to serve the state. Christianity was seen as a means of enhancing and enriching the state. Or to put it another way, Christianity was seen as a means to an end. And when that occurs, when the end of the matter is not knowing Christ, but something else like building up the state, what follows is that the gospel is lost. I think that almost happened very early on in the Christian faith. So let's start by reading Acts chapter 11. I'll begin with the first three verses. Now, the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. So it would appear that the conversion of the Roman centurion Cornelius, along with his household, many friends, all Gentiles, well, it created quite a stir. The Gentiles had received the word of God, and no doubt, many who thought of the gospel of Jesus as the end, as the goal, as the thing for which they were striving for, well, they were joyful. But there were others who were incensed. So what's going on? Now, we can't date the events of the salvation of the first Gentiles with absolute certainty. There are some scholars who think it's possible that the events recorded in Acts chapter 10, that is, the conversion of Cornelius and his friends, occurred sometime in the years between AD 39 to 41. And if that were true, we know that there had developed quite a tense situation in Jerusalem, that is, between the Jewish leadership and the Roman government. The Jewish historian Josephus says that the Roman emperor at that time, Caligula, had given an order that a statue to the emperor was to be set up in Jerusalem, indeed, that it should be set up in the temple. And if you want to get a sense of how sensitive that matter was, think of it in terms of today. You know, in China today, when the Communist Party is insisting that Christian preachers in official state-sanctioned churches, they must preach patriotic sermons with a theme spelled out. Well, now, give an order like that, and you're going to soon find out who's a faithful pastor and who's willing to compromise. Well, for ancient Jews, setting up a statue of the Roman emperor in Jerusalem and in the temple, that was something that they would resist to the point of death. Indeed, the standoff was so great, at least as Josephus reports it, that a great crisis had ensued. And it was averted because Caligula had died at the hand of assassins. And I mentioned that as a possibility that this might have served as a background to the conversion of Cornelius. 
a man who had commanded troops in the Roman occupying army stationed in Caesarea. The idea of a commanding military man who occupied the Jewish homeland coming to faith in Christ and being counted as a brother in Christ, along with the other Gentiles who had come to Christ along with him, well, it must have created a certain tension. Look again at what Luke describes. Luke says it was the circumcision party, and that requires some explanation. All Jewish males over the age of eight days had been circumcised. And so on a surface level, you might think that the circumcision party, well, it just refers to every Jew. And if you go back to Acts 10.45, remember that passage said that all the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed to see that the Holy Spirit was poured out on the Gentiles. So the circumcised can refer to all of Israel, but not so here. If we go forward all the way to Acts 15, and you look at the first verse of that chapter, we're going to learn that there were some men from Judea who were teaching that unless the Gentiles were circumcised, according to the laws of Moses, they couldn't be saved. So apparently, very early on in the church, there were some people who were quite zealous on this issue. So who were these people? Perhaps there's a hint of that found in Acts 6-7. That passage said, And the word of God continued to increase, and a number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And listen to this, a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Well, Luke doesn't tell us who these priests were. Were some of them previously Pharisees? Yeah, that's quite possible that a great many former Pharisees became obedient to Jesus. Well, that would be good news. Well, the bad news would be that they never lost their zeal for the law and also demanded that if Jesus is to be preached among the Gentiles, then faithfulness to the law of Moses must be observed in every sense. And if this incident, that is the conversion of Cornelius, really did occur at a time when there was great tension between Rome and Jerusalem, as we've seen, all the more reason to insist that the converted Gentiles be required to now show their loyalty to the law and to the people of Israel. You see, the conversion of Cornelius started a firestorm in the early church, one that might very well have resulted in division. And as we've seen, it was Peter who led the way. It was he who went into the house of the uncircumcised, and the circumcision party is really angry about that. You went into the house of uncircumcised men, they said, and what's more, you ate with them. It's a fascinating charge. And if you know your Bible well, you might remember that at a later date, Peter actually became quite intimidated by this charge. Paul writes about it in Galatians 2, 11 to 12, where he says, but when Cephas, and that's a reference to Peter, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, that is from the Jerusalem church, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. Well, later on, at least in one point in time, the strength of this circumcision party had Peter on the run. They intimidated him. They were strong. Let me see if I can put their argument in my own words. It would go something like this. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament makes it clear that God wants his people to be circumcised. You can't just willy-nilly ignore your Bible, go into the house of uncircumcised Roman military men, eat with them, and announce that these people are a part of the people of God. I mean, after all, when Peter had preached the gospel in Cornelius' home, he never made mention of circumcision. And furthermore, since we already know that Cornelius had been a God-fearer, that is, a man who read the Bible 
and who loved the God of Israel, yet he had not been circumcised. I think the circumcision party would have said, listen up, Peter, are you telling me you never even thought to bring up this obedience to the Torah? It's unacceptable. Now, our text, Acts 11, begins with the words, Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. See, that would have meant that word about Jesus, the word that everyone in the church was talking about. No doubt some said, that's wonderful. Jesus told us to start in Jerusalem, go to Judea, to Samaria, and the rest of the world, and by God's grace, that's what's now happening. (laughs) But the circumcision party would have said, you better curb that excitement. Exactly what kind of a church are you building here? Are we to accept enemies of Israel and men disobedient to the law of Moses and then at the same time call them brothers and sisters in Christ? Not so fast. We aren't ready to accept these Gentiles, at least not yet. You know, this attitude that finds others unacceptable, that still hasn't grasped that we're saved by grace, that is by grace alone, through faith alone, on the basis of the merits of Christ's work alone. See, that attitude that refuses to accept that, well, it has plagued the church for 2,000 years. It's an attitude that will not welcome men and women whose only claim is they have believed on Christ, that is, they've repented of their sins and they've clung to Christ in faith. See, here's the issue. It, It doesn't matter what it is. But when repentance and faith in Christ are seen not as primary, but as secondary, when something else, be it political realities, loyalty to the state, whenever something else takes precedence over seeing salvation offered up by Christ as an end in itself, we're in danger of deserting the gospel. The truth is, as Paul would later say, Abraham was justified by faith long before he was ever circumcised. And furthermore, there's no indication that circumcision was ever intended for the Gentiles. And this was the circumcision party's problem. Once that was admitted, the uncircumcised Gentiles were part of the family of God, while they wondered, is that good news? It might just be bad news. Every day we partner with radio stations across the country, like the one you're listening to right now, to air the Bible teaching programs of Back to the Bible Canada. We want to thank the faithfulness of our radio partners and remind you to thank them as well. We also want to thank our listeners from across Canada who support this ministry with your encouragement and financial contributions. Your thoughtfulness ensures Bible teaching is made available in your community and across Canada as Back to the Bible Canada remains steadfastly committed to teaching the life-changing truths of the Bible. To our radio partners and listeners alike, thank you. This ministry of Bible teaching on radio could not be accomplished without you. To learn more about the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada and all the resources available, call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca. I find it fascinating that Peter meets with the church in Jerusalem. You know, one time immediately after the stoning of Stephen and the persecution that followed, all but the apostles were driven out of Jerusalem. But now it would seem that a number of believers did come back. 
The situation that led to such harsh persecution, well, it seems to have died down. Jewish Christians have returned to Jerusalem and they're reestablishing the church. Christian ministry is going on again. That means that the center of Christianity is once again in Jerusalem. And it's here that Peter must make his case. You know, sometimes when readers of the Bible read a section of Scripture, we might wonder why things are written the way they are. We're going to see in our text, the section we're about to read, there's a repetition of what's gone on before. And modern readers might look at the text and simply say, well, why doesn't Luke, in telling the story, simply say, Peter told the church in Jerusalem exactly what happened? But of course, he doesn't say that. Indeed, as we read, we will read a repetition of exactly what we already read in chapter 10. And why is that? But did you notice there are many times in Scripture where things are repeated? Deuteronomy repeats much of what's found in Leviticus and Numbers. The book of Chronicles repeats much of what we originally read in the two books of the Kings. The story of Jesus is not told just once, it's told four times, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So why this repetition? One of the reasons for repetition is in the minds of ancients, you know, it's used to emphasize something that's very important. Sit down listen to it a second time, and then perhaps again. There's such significance in what happened, you are well served not to rush off and then start listening to the next thing. Instead, hear the story again. Ponder how significant this moment is. Now, of course, the church in Jerusalem had not heard the story before. That's why Peter repeated it. But Luke, who wrote Acts, is well aware that we, who are the readers of his book, we've just read it before. But it's Luke's way of saying what happened in Caesarea is so important to the growth of the Christian church. If you just pass it off as another one of many stories, you're going to be missing the entire purpose of why this story was included, not once, but twice in my book. So let's read it a second time, Acts 11, 4 to 10. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision something like a great sheet descending, being let down from the heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. So stop for a moment here and remember the primary accusation of the circumcision party. See, they said, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. And Peter could have responded by saying, yeah, but did you also notice something else? I saw a vision, a vision of clean and unclean animals, or to put it in Jewish terms, a vision of kosher and non-kosher animals. And a voice from heaven said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. Eat both kosher and the non-kosher menu. And said, Peter, did you notice my response? I said, nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. At no time in the past did I ever break kosher. Instead of simply noticing that I ate in the house of a Gentile, did you ever stop and think, oh my goodness, in all of his life, Peter had never done something like that before. It's not like he was sneaking out to the local hog farm on occasion and snacking. He was consistent in his dietary habits for a lifetime. So instead of starting out with an accusation, wouldn't it have been better to simply have asked, what accounts for this unexpected action? 
There must be an explanation for why out of the blue Peter would suddenly have behaved as he did. If you asked the question that way, you might have been on a journey to discovery. But then said Peter, the voice from heaven, after I had protested, said the same thing again, repetition. It must have been very important to have repeated three times. It happened so often, I was left with no choice. I couldn't ignore the repetition. I was forced to ask what it meant. So that's Peter's first important defense to the church in Jerusalem. How was I to ignore such a vision? Peter could have said that vision either came from God or it didn't. And so in order to examine its significance, let's examine what happened next. Acts 11, 11 to 14. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were, sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel stand in the house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. Notice the importance of the timing. At the very moment, that is almost no time passed between the third occurrence of my vision and the arrival of the three Gentile men who showed up at the door. And even even if by then I was still a little too dense to catch on what was being said to me, the Holy Spirit spoke to me and told me to go with those three men. Peter now repeats himself that the Holy Spirit made no distinction between the Jews and those Gentiles who came to the door. He makes no distinction based on whether they were circumcised or not. Now, Peter moves forward to that part of the story when he and the six men from Joppa arrived at the home of Cornelius. Peter adds something here that Luke did not mention before. Peter says, when I first encountered Cornelius and he was explaining to me why he had sent for me, that Cornelius had said that, as we saw earlier, an angel appeared to him, telling him to send for a man named Peter. But here's the unique detail. According to verse 14, Cornelius had indicated that the angel told him that the man named Peter would tell him how he and his household would be saved. See, we know that the Holy Spirit has a unique role to play in the Trinity. He's the one who draws men and women to Christ. And here, says Peter, is the Holy Spirit performing his role. The Holy Spirit says to Cornelius, I'm going to send a preacher to you, and you've got to listen to him. Believe what he has to say, and in consequence, you're going to be saved from your sins. And so on both sides, that is, on Peter's side, the Holy Spirit was preparing him to preach. And on Cornelius' side, that large group of uncircumcised pork eaters, God was preparing them as well. Now here, Peter doesn't recount the nature of his sermon. Rather, notice what he wants to impress on the church in Jerusalem. Acts eleven fifteen to 17. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to stand in God's way? Notice Peter says, as I began to speak. See, it's clear that Peter had already covered quite a bit of ground by the time the Holy Spirit fell. I mean, told that group of Gentiles how Jesus had been anointed by the Spirit and by power. He was healing all who were under the power of the devil. He's explaining something of the life of Jesus, his death in Jerusalem, his resurrection from the dead. He told them that Jesus would come again to judge the living and the dead. So we've got to assume that he's telling them that Jesus is Lord of all. 
But there's something missing in Peter's sermon on that day. See, if you go back to Peter's first sermon, the one he preached to the completely Jewish audience on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem, remember that he ended by saying, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter did, when he spoke to the Gentiles, make mention of the fact that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But he never got around to the altar call. You know, he never called them to repent. And there's a reason for that. See, the Gentiles were already so eager to repent and believe. They were way ahead of Peter. And the Holy Spirit fell on them just like on us. Peter says, what could I do at that moment? I couldn't stand in God's way. And after relaying that wonderful story to the church in Jerusalem, listen to how the church responds. It's found in Acts 11, verse 18, and I hope it's all of our response. When they heard these things, they fell silent, and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. That was a moment, folks. That's the only response of people who are loyal to God. If God chooses to make the uncircumcised Gentiles into our brothers and sisters in Christ, and if he chooses to make them equal to us, and that we are now brothers and sisters with them, we will not stand in the way of Christ. Away with the old loyalty that was to put the people of ancient Israel first. Our loyalty will be to Christ first. Let it be said of all of us as well. Whatever other loyalties there may be, they will never circumvent this. We are loyal to Christ and to his people first. Thanks for your message today, John. Let's go back, though, to that word patriotism, because it's a significant area of conversation these days. How would you suggest we remind ourselves where our loyalty ought to stand and perhaps how we ought to express that loyalty? Yeah, towards government, we want to be praying for our government. We also seek to bless our nation in whatever way we can. We want to be good citizens, but we remember that ultimately our citizenship is in heaven. And that's so important. We need to state it and restate it. Our commitment to the joint people of God, that our brothers and sisters in Christ, this comes before all other patriotisms. We are patriotic towards the church first and foremost. Let's Say that, believe it, practice it. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us again tomorrow as we continue our series Beyond Jerusalem right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. We want to thank you for your faithful prayers and generous gifts that help ensure that solid Bible teaching is available around the world. Because of your generosity, all of our international Bible teaching efforts and partnerships happen, including the distribution of Dr. John's new book, Making the Most of Your Salvation, being made available in 11 key languages distributed across India. It's such a privilege to work in partnership with you and ministry friends like Back to the Bible India and Back to the Bible Sri Lanka. As we work together, Bible resources are being made available around the world. And a special thank you for your gifts, the gifts you sent during our international focus in March. And may I encourage you to continue to support these international partnerships throughout the year, or even consider becoming an international monthly partner. To learn more or to offer a gift in support of international ministries, visit backtothebible.com 
www.ca or call us at 1-800-663-2425.